Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Okay, good morning everybody. Please take your seats if you haven't already. Thanks Jess, my little uh, helper on wheels this morning. Um, It's Remembrance Sunday this morning and um, just to talk you through how our service is going to, can you not wheel in front of me, thanks, how our service is going to run this morning. We will spend some time in worship, then at around 11 o'clock we will pause for a two minute silence um, before we continue our service and Jeanette will take us through communion a little bit later. But for now, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are here. You don't just turn up on a Sunday either. You're with us throughout the week. You're with us when we sleep. You're with us when we wake up. Your promises are new and fresh and true every day to us. You are the living God. You are the author and perfecter of our faith and our salvation. And Lord, we praise you this morning. Please be with us, Holy Spirit, will you move, move within us, teach us, heal us, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Um, I was just listening to a really good interview this week about um, storytelling, about, about uh, the troubles in uh, in Belfast through to the opiate crisis in America. It was just, he's amazing. And one of his themes is the stories we tell ourselves to perhaps to justify our, our own actions or to explain things that are happening in the world. We often tell ourselves little stories to try and explain stuff that's really complicated. And it made me think about the power of words in particular. I have a vested interest, it's my job to write, so I'm quite interested in words. Um, but I obviously, you're, I, I was looking at words and, and, and I can write words that move people. I can write words that really hurt people. Um, and I can write words that explain things and situations and where we are and what we're doing. But the word that remains unsullied by chatter, opinion, um, secularism is this word. And I thought, that's incredible. This is a word that is true 100% of the time, 100%. This word cuts through chatter and negative talk. It cuts through uh, politics. It cuts through all the terrible, terrible things in our society that we've, we have allowed to happen um, because it holds true through centuries and centuries and centuries. And what an amazing blessing to have this word, Jesus, even today as we, cu- as we go through our service. Uh, I know Ellie is going to invite people to pray out about the truth of God's character later, but perhaps if we use our word as a reference for God's character, we can bless each other with some real truth, truthful words this morning. Um, And with that, I shall pass over to Ellie. Good morning. Um, Let's stand, and we're going to start by singing All My Days, where the, um, the... chorus uh, sings about some of the truths in the Bible, beautiful saver, wonderful counsellor, clothed in majesty, lord of the history, you're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, 
um, the risen one, heaven's champion. Um, so after this song, if we can pray out some of those truths that we read in the Bible about who God is, it could be that that's just from your heart, actually. It's, it's something that God's done for you. So God for you is something uh, a bit more personal. Um, but there are, there are hundreds of passages in the Bible about who, who God is. So on your feet. Yes, Lord, you are the victor. You are the one who triumphed over death. You are the one who won the world back to you. You are my hero. Thank you, Father. Amen. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Thank you so much, Lord. You are Lord and you are wonderful. You're our counsellor, you're our mighty God, and we are saved by that, Lord. You keep us day by day. You establish your kingdom, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. That we're weak, and Lord, and you're so understanding of our weaknesses, don't you, Lord? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. sin for us you just thank you you took on yourself all all of our our ways lord and thank you lord amen amen <clears throat> let's call out the sh just the short um sentences about who god is that we know from the bible um lord you are the good shepherd So the lamb who was slain. Amen. Amen. You are the prince of peace. You are the door that always opens when we knock. You are our hope in times of suffering. Amen. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Yeah. And the light of the world. They shall not grow old as we that as we that are left to grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At at the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. Let's bow our head for two minutes. Sorry.
thank you for who you are. We have heard so much about your character this morning already. And Lord, as we remember those who lost their lives in wars across the world, Lord, we know that you stayed exactly the same. Lord, whether you meet us in that, you meet us in our suffering, in our despair, in our joy, in our triumph, you don't change. Lord, as we remember people in conflicts across the world this morning, we pray for your mercy and your love to pour down individually and collectively. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Just a few notices this morning before we carry on with our service. Um, do you want to put your slide up, Justin, if you have it to hand? Ta-da! School's out on Saturday, the 20th of November. It's brilliant. Um, if you have young children and you want to bring them along, uh, then do so. If you know anyone that has young children, bring them along too. If you want to help, um, do come along. Justin will be delighted. And especially in the clearing up afterwards, that's what takes the time. So if you've got an hour to spend to spare, that would always be much appreciated. So that's next Saturday. Goodness me, that's come round very quick. Um, Martin's handed me a bit of information this morning about a, a film that's coming out at Cineworld. Um, it's, come out, it's, come, it's coming out today, and it's on the life of C.S. Lewis. Um, and it's directed by the same guy that directed Shadowlands uh, and the Narnia Code for the BBC. So it's someone that obviously has sympathy in this sort of genre. Okay. Brilliant. So if you fancy a movie afternoon, that could be a... A, a, a kind of wet weather option for you. Um, brilliant. Uh, so, oh, is it? Right. Oh, it's only today. 4.20 today. Sorry, I didn't read that. Get down there. Book. It's at the Beacon. It's in the Beacon. So it's, I think it's free parking on Sundays. In the yeah, I think it's free parking. So that's worth, <laughs> that's worth it alone, just for the free parking. Um, so today, as usual, we'll have lunch uh, after church. Um, if you are intending to stay, could you just put your hand up to give Sue an idea? Or is it, Sue, are you doing the lunch today? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And if you have got a, if you could spare a five minutes to help pack away the chair, thank you very much. I'm going to hand over to Justin for family time. Well, good morning, everybody. So... Morning, morning. Family time. Uh, you'll be pleased to know there's no acting required for many of you this week. Um, why not? Okay. Well, kids, today's family time is about the importance of passing on a message at the right time. Now, how many of you have been asked to pass on a message that you have forgotten about. <laughs> Often. Okay. How many of you have forgotten to pass on a message deliberately? Okay, give you an example. Parents' evening is coming up, and your teacher wants to speak to your parents. And they tell you, 
Make sure your parents book an appointment for parents' evening and you discreetly forget to tell them. That sort of message. Yeah, I did that one. <laughs> Sometimes, when we're given messages, we may not think they're important. Sometimes we may not think we're important enough for the message. Does that make sense? Sometimes we may think the person we have to give a message to is way too important for us to speak to. Now, if I said to any of you, I want you to take a message, and particularly the kids, to our queen on my behalf, do you think you'll be important enough to turn up at whatever palace she's at and trying to deliver a message on behalf of your youth worker? No chance. No. You wouldn't get through the gate. So there is this differential between who possibly is important enough to deliver the message and who is important enough to receive the message. Now, those who are on the family time team may be sitting there thinking, where's he going with this in relation to the story that we're doing? It's not often in some of our Bible stories when we talk about people who have something to say that actually we're talking about girls in our stories. And the child that we're looking at in our Bible story is a little girl. And it's an important story. And it's an important two, well, not even two verses in this story that we can miss really, really easily. The story is about a guy called Naaman, who was a Syrian commander. And he had leprosy. Now, kids, we've done lepers and that sort of thing in all our crazy stories, and we know that, you know, at that time it was a disease which meant that everybody thought they would catch it from you, and it was really dangerous, and normally you would be kicked out of the town, the family, the kingdom, your job, all that, and you have to live on a rubbish tip. But this guy was a commander in the Syrian army, and he managed to keep his position. So he must have been really, really good at his job. And his job was killing Jewish people. Because we're in that period of the Old Testament of fighting and fighting and fighting. And in one of his battles, he took some prisoners. And in those prisoners, there was a little girl who he took home to be a servant. That's probably a nice way of putting it. He became the household slave. So we could think Cinderella at this point. Because we don't know what job that she was given to do. But, and this is the importance of delivering a message, she knew that the head of the household, this commander, had leprosy. She knew that the prophet back in Israel could do something about it because he had a direct line to God. Now, put your position in her position. You're effectively a prisoner in this household. You've been taken away, possibly from your whole family, or your family might have been killed and you've been taken away. We don't know. We don't have that bit of background. But for her to directly speak, 
speak up could have meant the end of her life. It could have meant helping the person who's taken her from her homeland to a worse situation. It would have been very easy to ignore it. You know, that, th that thing when you're in the supermarket, you see somebody you don't like, I can't see you, that sort of thing. But she didn't. She went to the commander's wife, the lady of the house, and said, I know there's a prophet back in Israel who could help the commander. Then the wife took the message to the commander, the commander took the message to his king, and his king sent him back to Israel. And we have this story of how Father Prophet, God, healed. Oh, actually, he humbled first, then healed this Syrian commander, showing that his healing power and his love wasn't just for the Jewish people. You know, it's an Old Testament story showing it's for everybody. None of this would have happened if this servant girl hadn't been true to the message that God had given her to pass on. None of us, and kids, you really need to hear this, are unimportant enough for God to give us a message which could change someone's life. And God gives you something, gives us something, gives me something, we need to speak up. That's our family time. Father, I just want to say thank you for this little gem in this story. A story that perhaps we've read and we've listened to and we've heard so many times. But on re-looking at just what is potentially a minor character in it, we can see a nugget of truth about how you use all of us, no matter who we are. I pray that our heart story, we will rely on your Holy Spirit to give us the strength to speak that message. In Jesus' name, amen. And just before we send the children out, they will uh, take part in communion with their parents if they choose to. Um, let me just ask the children a very quick question. Uh, what is your favourite food? Favourite food? Uh, David. Sorry, Noah. I forgot. A potato-based product. Yes, got you. Uh, Jesse. Enchiladas. Lives? Sushi. <laughs> okay. Apples. Okay. Lucy and Evie, have you got a favourite food? Chinese food, yes. Any more? Don't know. When you eat pasta, maybe? Yeah. When you eat your apples or your potatoes or your sushi or your enchiladas or your Chinese food, do you have to do anything special? Do you sit there very silently and contemplating and do you do anything particularly before you eat your food? Yes. You unroll, you sort of deconstruct the enchilada, don't you? That's one of your, yeah. You don't, but you kind of just go straight into your mouth, doesn't it, normally? Um, so that's your favourite food. This is my favourite, favourite, favourite meal ever. Do you think a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine will fill me up? No. Why is this meal my favourite meal?
Exactly. It ties in to Jesus and his death. In what way does it tie in to Jesus and his death? Yes. A little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. Yeah, that's right. They mean something, don't they? What do they mean? Lives. That's right. Jesus said the bread was like his body, or was his body, and he said the wine, the wine was like his blood. Does your Chinese chow mein represent anything? No. Does your chips or potatoes represent anything? Food. They're nice, aren't they? They're just, that's all they are. They're just nice in our stomachs. They don't really mean anything to us. But this meal, this tiny, tiny little meal, represents the world. It represents everything that's really, really important to us. It represents Jesus. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys to think about that when you come up and take communion. Think about what this meal means, this tiny, small amount of bread and this tiny, small amount of grape juice before you um, eat it today. And parents, feel free to bring your children up just after I pray. Father God, I thank you for this small but mighty meal. It means so much. And as Justin said, it means as much to a child who is so important to us in our church and to you as it does to any famous queen or king or messenger. We are all your children and you love us all and you died for us all. We thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Parents, feel free to bring your children forward. When you're ready, Sue. <laughs> so I, that's what I like, is that family feel to the whole church. I'll give you a duster and we'll be away. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning, to uh, be in your presence, to be in as we remember, as we ponder and consider. May you, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, enlighten us. Give us spiritual understanding. Give us, open the eyes of our hearts that we may receive you, that we may continue to be rooted and established in your love. And as we hear your word, as we share in communion, may we continue to grow and strengthen in you. Amen. So how many people are required to fight and gain victory in war? You know, until the middle of the 20th century onwards, it was all about numbers, wasn't it? The one who had the, the greater number of, of soldiers essentially won the war. And it was only until the middle of the 20th century that uh, someone, quite frankly, could just press a button and, and gain victory in war. The First World War was all about boots on the ground. Male on this occasion, male volunteers from every walk of life, every society of life, to volunteer. The actual army, paid army, was a small army. It required volunteers 
to put themselves up to volunteer for king and for country. So the government despised a, a scheme and they realized the importance of peer pressure and peer encouragement. So they set up the Powell's Battalion. And it meant that in these small villages, it said, if you volunteer, we guarantee you stay together in training, you stay together on the front, you train together, you fight together. We guarantee it, you will not be alone in war. So these POW battalions proved incredibly popular. My, um, my father was born in a very small village called Crossens in Lancashire, which is now swallowed by, by Southport and is part of the Wirral now, not, not Lancashire at all. And in that village, now my grandfather was, was gassed in World War I. He, he lived with the effects of, of mustard gas all his life. And he moved to this village, Crossens, after the world, First World War, and my father was born in 1923. But there is a war memorial in Crossins, and in that village, 23 young men signed up together, and not one of them returned. And that kind of number in a village just wipes out a whole generation. So my grandfather, who was a wheelwright, was welcomed into the village because of his generation. There were, there were no men of his generation in that village. This scheme was phased out in 1917. That's after three years of it being. Because of the sheer number of deaths in the First World War, the government policy was not to repatriate bodies, but to bury them where they fell. And of course, so many were missing and only ever came to the light of day um, years later. But this meant that the families had no grave to focus their point of grief. They were just left Without this village, were left without 23 sons, 23 brothers. Generation were wiped out, and there was no, no point of focus. Where could the families go? There was no body to bury. And so, 100 years ago this year, the first monument was erected, the first war memorial was erected so that the grieving families could have a point of focus. And that, of course, is what we have still today. The epitaph in London, the war memoirs. Everywhere you go, town and village, you find war memorials. And, of course, what has happened is that the names of Second World War and other conflicts have been added to these war memorials. But in the 1930s, there was an author called Arthur Mee, and he wanted to do a, um, a, a tour guide, really, 
of all the counties in the country. Write a tour guide, get it published. He'd been published before. He actually was the author of the Children's Encyclopedia in, in before the First World War. And he set off to find it. And what struck him was the absence of war memorials in some villages. Because they were so commonplace, it was the absence of him, not the presence of them, that struck him. No memorial. So he questioned the residents. Why is there no war memorial in your village? And they said, because the men we sent out all returned. And instead, on Armistice Day, instead of gathering around a war memorial, we go to church and we give thanks for the return of our sons. And on many churches in these villages, inside is a plaque with the names of those who returned. And this author, Arthur Mee, called them the thankful villages. When you think of the likes of Crossins, where they gathered around every year around a war memorial, there was almost an embarrassment that these quiet, this is why most people haven't even heard of thankful villages. They would go to church and give thanks for the return of their sons and brothers and husbands. Arthur Mee found 32 parishes, thankful villages, as he called them. Poignantly, he found none in Scotland and none in Ireland. It was only in England and Wales could he find evidence of returned soldiers. Now, technology and, and database and everything has now increased that number to 53. But still none in Scotland, none in Ireland. 53 thankful villages. Today, as people are laying war at wreaths at the foot of war memorials, there are 13 communities called double thankful villages who lost no, no one in the First World War and no one in the Second World War. And there are 13 doubly thankful villages in this country. And this brings us to communion. Death, Thanksgiving. You see, we don't gather round a stone memorial mourning the death of Jesus. And we don't go into a church quietly and give thanks for Jesus because he came back safely. And yet, we can come with similar thoughts. 
Because when we were lost in our sin, physically alive but spiritually dead, Jesus, God incarnate, humbled himself and became human to save us from an eternity separated from the one who made and loves us. See, Jesus was a volunteer. He volunteered and died the death we should have died. He volunteered as human to go to war with the God of this world. In Hebrews 5.8 it says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, God isn't obedient. He's truth. It's only when Jesus lay aside his deity and took up the fullness of humanity did Jesus have to learn obedience. Obedience doesn't... He is truth. <laughs> but we only have a need to choose when there's a choice. We choose to obey or to disobey. So relying solely on his relationship with his Father and the strength of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived in enemy territory. He endured mental suffering as he experienced ridicule, betrayal, temptation, and increased rejection from those he came to save. He endured physical suffering through the lashing inflicted by soldiers, through the, the pressing down, the embedding of thorns in the skull. And weak from loss of blood, he then had to take up the beam, the cross beam, on which he would then be nailed in the wrists and in the feet. He volunteered then to take on the worst suffering. In the Old Testament it says obedience brings blessing, obedience brings blessing. Do this and that happens. Act like that, this happens. Clear. Jesus obeyed fully, completely, absolutely, and incurred the wrath of God. This earthly battlefield that Jesus inhabited, he fulfilled every law required by God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the eve of the greatest battle between good and evil, he asked his father, is there an alternative course of action? Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, as you will. As Ruth prayed earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin be a sin offering for us. The perfect 
the impact. It is as though Jesus was the first man over the trenches at the Somme. It was as though he was the sitting duck in Gallipoli. Or he was the one that the bomb landed on in Hiroshima. He took the weight of everything. He volunteered to be first. He volunteered to be the only one. He took on and absorbed all evil, prompting the righteous God to abandon him. Jesus, who had only ever known full communion with his father and declared to his disciples, I and my father are one, was forsaken at his critical hour. It's like the captain blowing the whistle and everyone's in the trench, but only Jesus goes over. Is it any wonder he cried, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why? Why have, I knew I'd do this, why have you forsaken me? The author of life voluntarily sacrificed himself. One unrepeatable action. And all evil and death was nailed to the cross. And at that point, he says, it is finished. That was the war to end all wars. That was victory over evil. At that point, we who didn't go over the top, who didn't sit on a beach, who didn't stand under the bomb, were justified. Single-handed, Jesus plundered hell. He took the keys of hell, death, and he said, it is finished. I am life. The war that ends all wars. We live in skirmishes. All right? We live in the outworkings. But the war is won. The war that ends all war is done. So at communion, we remember the sacrifice of Christ for the breaking and the sharing of bread. We drink wine uh, of his body. We drink wine to signify his loss of blood, the shedding of his blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We don't stand around a memorial, stone memorial, recalling the fallen. But we stand around a table 
gather to celebrate life. His life, our life. Because just as that Corinthian thing says, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us. The second part of that verse says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel is that Jesus came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. So at communion, we remember death and life. His death brings us life. And yes, we have pockets of opposition. Life is very hard at times. But we know that he will return with shouts of celebration, joy, ultimate victory, and come home. We will know the peace that passes all understanding. So until then, we live in remembrance of what has been done with thanksgiving for the life we have granted and the anticipation of an eternity with the son who came home. We've done this once before, and I'd like us to do it again, to be in a circle, because I want us to share communion as we gather round a table of remembrance, a table of life and death, sorrow and joy, war and peace, that we may remember and give thanks. So can we just, you remember, was I the only one who did it? I don't think I did a circle of one. <laughs> can we just stand, stand around and incorporate the table, please? So we know that on the night before he suffered, he took bread and he broke it and he said, eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body. And then after supper, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood shed. Drink this in remembrance And he says in one of the Gospels, I will not drink this blood, this wine, this wine again until I come in glory. And that's that glorious marriage, the wedding feast of the Lamb. When you drink the final glass of wine, it's finished. Eternally finished. With thanksgiving, Thank the Lord for his obedience, for his sacrifice, for the shedding of his we may stand, justified, righteous in God's sight, so that we can enter the holy of holies, the presence of God, looking for mercy and finding grace.
Christ. Thank you everybody for for this morning and um, feel free to stay and have lunch if you're able to um, and if not you're we've reached the end of our formal part of the morning okay bless you all